So we're going to be in the book of Galatians tonight, chapter 1. We're going to finish chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 11 through 24 in a study I'm calling The Making of a Messenger of Grace. And so as we go through these first two chapters, we're looking at what it is to be a messenger of grace. And so tonight we're going to talk about the makings of one. Now, we're all familiar with success stories in business and entertainment. For example, here's a couple names that we all know. Walt Disney, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, John Lasseter, all, you know, a lot of my favorites, and so especially John Lasseter. You know, there's books, documentaries, movies about these guys' lives, and, they, you know, and these things show how they you know, made themselves great, basically, their success story. You learn about their personalities, their genius. I mean, these guys are geniuses. Uh, unique creativity, the hard work, the sacrifices, the investments, and the risks that they took. And all these things together were really the makings of an effective person in, a, in the business world or in the entertainment world. But how about in the kingdom of God? What does it take to affect the world for Jesus? What is the makings of a messenger of grace. And I think we have a success story here tonight in the life of the Apostle Paul. I think you would agree. You see, Paul in our text this evening is going to defend his message and his apostleship against the false teachers that were infiltrating the churches there in the region of Galatia. And as we look at Paul's life, we're going to see it basically as a documentary. And we're going to see what it is to have the makings of a messenger of grace. Now, Paul basically is going to point to the basis of his message and his ministry, and he's going to say that the makings of a messenger of grace is the grace of God. That's what it is. The makings of a messenger of grace is the grace of God. Paul said this other places as he wrote as well. For example, 1 Corinthians 15, 10 through 11 says this. Paul says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And by his grace towards me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. Paul also wrote to young pastor Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, 12-15. He said this, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me, because he counted me faithful, put me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant, with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And so Paul was able to look at his life and recognize that he was who he was by the grace of God. Everything that Paul did, whether it was teach or whether it was to share the gospel, he received these things he believed by the grace of God. Even Paul's motivation to go out and to minister, Paul believed, was given to him by the grace of God. Paul realized that everything he had was from the Lord. And the same is true for you and I. Everything that we are in Christ, everything that we do for Christ, everything the Lord has given us is all by his grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor. Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. And so God gives us his unmerited favor, not because of who we are. God looks at us and says, oh, man, he's great. I'm, gonna, I'm really going to bless him. God says, no, because he has faith in my son, I'm going to bless him. I'm going to work in his life. I'm going to use his life. I'm going to transform and save his life. It's all by grace. And, that, and Paul was able to look at that. And so my prayer tonight is we look at Paul's 
scholars call it his biographical defense because in context, he's going to show his early life um, and also his call and his message in order to defend his apostleship. But as we look at that, we're going to see deeper. We're going to see that the Lord wants to give us a fresh understanding of his work of grace in our life. He wants to show us his grace and, um, you know, and, and what he has done in our life, what he wants to do, and what he is going to do. And so tonight, as we look at Paul's uh, message here, the makings of a messenger of grace, we'll learn two things. Number one, we'll learn the basis of Paul's message is Christ and his grace. And number two, the basis of Paul's ministry is Christ and his grace. And so first of all, in verses 11 through 12, we see the basis of Paul's message is Christ and his grace. And so Paul, in the rest of this chapter, chapter one, continues the theme that we began last week there in verse six. We saw that Paul called the believers away from that false gospel to the gospel of grace, to abide in the gospel that he preached to them. Now, as I pointed out in the previous studies, the Judaizers, the false teachers, were coming in, and they were teaching these Gentile believers that in order for them to really be saved, they need to keep the law of Moses. They need to believe in Christ, yes, but there was more to it. They need to be circumcised. They need to go back under the law and keep the Sabbath and, and all of these different law rituals. And if they didn't, well, then you're not, you're, you know, you're not saved. Not only that, but they were criticizing Paul. They said, did Paul come to you guys and teach this message of grace? And they said, oh, yeah, he did. They said, oh, Paul, who even knows if he's really an apostle in the first place? After all, he wasn't part of the 12. And so they began criticizing his credentials as an apostle. They began trying to cut him down so they would discredit his message. And Paul is going to respond to that here in this first chapter. First of all, he responds to their message. He says, guys, don't believe that message. That message is not from God. It's not a true gospel. It's a different gospel, and it will turn you away from God and away from his grace. He said that gospel isn't a perversion. It's not the real thing. He said it's bad news. It's not good news. It's not the gospel. And he says, and anyone who preaches that message is accursed. They're devoted to destruction. So I think Paul got their attention there in those first couple verses. So after he gets their attention, now he begins laying down his credentials. And that's what he begins with here in verse 11. He begins with his credentials. Now, I think it's interesting here about these false teachers and the way they operate, because in other places in Scripture, false teachers are called messengers of Satan. And they really represent well what Satan seeks to do in the life of a messenger of grace. You see, that's what, what Satan wants to do is he wants to discredit our message by, first of all, trying to discredit the messenger. And that's what he wants to do. He wants to attack us. He wants to discredit us, and so people won't believe our message because our message is amazing. So, you know, he wants to attack us. And so that's just an exhortation for us to make sure that we're guarding our life, watching our life, and so we don't do anything that would discredit our message. Also, just like Satan, these false teachers slipped in after God began to work. You see, God was winning ground in the area of Galatia. It was a wicked area. There was pagan religions. There was um, pagan temples. There was, um, you know, false, you know, false teachers. And God used Paul mightily by his grace in there. And as soon as Paul left, Satan sought to creep in and come and distort, take back and destroy everything that God was doing. That's what he wants to do in our life as well as we respond to God's grace, as we walk in God's grace. God you know, has done amazing work, but Satan wants to come in and he wants to destroy that work through sin in our lives personally. He wants to destroy our ministries by tempting us to walk in the flesh and not in the spirit. He wants to destroy our families by causing division and strife and selfishness. 
So like Paul, we need the abiding grace. We need to guard ourselves. We need to stand. And if need be, we need to fight to take back the lost ground that, that might be lost. And so verse 11, Paul begins this fight for grace. He says, but I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. And so contrary to the charges of these false teachers, the message that Paul was preaching was not a man-made message, because that's what they were saying if you look there in verse 10. They were coming on the scene, they were saying, yeah, Paul, he's just a man-pleaser. You know, when he's with the Jews, he acts Jewish, but man, when he's with the Gentiles, he drops all the other you know, his Jewishness. He drops his teaching of the law, and he just does it because he wants to preach an easy message to them so they're not offended at him. Basically, he's teaching cheap grace. That's what they were, were saying. They're saying, Paul just made that message up. And Paul says, no, it's not a message of man. It's not something that I just made up. Now, Paul fires back in saying that his message was not a message of man because this is not a message that a man would make up. Think about it. Think about all the religions of the world and the cults out there. They all focus on works. They all focus on works. They all add works to the equation of salvation. And in doing so, they compromise both the justice of God and the grace of God. Think about Islam. They say, if you're going to go to heaven, if you're going to be saved, well, then, man, you need to work. You know, and if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, well, then you'll get into heaven. The same thing with the Sikhs. And they say if you follow the Guru Granth Sahib, you know, and continue to, that's their, their, their word, message, by the way. You know, if you, if you follow this, you know, this message or whatever and you, and you work out real well, well, then you might earn your way to, you know, nirvana. You might earn your way to, you know, past, uh, you know, you know this stage of, of life. And so they all add works to their message. And even the cults do the same thing. They teach a false Jesus, but then when they come to you, they say, yeah, here's a false Jesus, but also, by the way, you need to do this in order to be saved. You know, baptism is essential. You need to do this, keep, you know, all, all these things. They all add works to grace. In reality, what it does is it discredits the justice of God and it denies the grace of God. Because God did something amazing on the cross. He both satisfied his justice and his grace through the cross of Christ. Because Christ died in our place and took our punishment for us, God could then freely give us his grace without compromising his justice and his holiness. And so Paul says, my message is not a man-made message because a man will not make up a gospel that teaches that a person is justified by a holy God on the basis of grace through faith alone. Second, Paul points out that his message was not a message of, of, of man because um, in verse 12, he didn't receive it from man. He says, For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so Paul didn't receive the gospel or his ministry from Jesus' normal method of evangelism, which is the Great Commission. We all know what the Great Commission is. Jesus in Matthew 28, 19 to 20 said, Go into all the world making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And so, but Paul didn't receive the gospel in this way. Paul received the gospel from the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus while he was on his way to persecute believers in Syria. Jesus stopped Paul in his tracks, and he basically preached the gospel to him, and Paul was born again. Now, yes, God did send Ananias. Jesus did tell Ananias to go to Paul in Acts 9, but the purpose of sending Ananias wasn't to you know, get Paul saved or add something to Paul's salvation, but it was to, to confirm it. 
God sent Ananias to pray for Paul so he can be healed of his eyesight. He sent Ananias to encourage Paul in his calling as an apostle to the Gentiles, and he sent Ananias to baptize Paul, the outward demonstration of the inward change which, had, which God had already done in his heart. None of these things contributed to Paul's salvation, but they only confirmed it, the fact that he was born again on the road to Damascus. Notice Paul says that he was not taught the gospel. This means that Paul didn't go to some seminar to learn the gospel. He didn't go to, to, you know, to the church of Jerusalem and sit in a, you know, a, a discipleship class and learn from Peter and those guys what the gospel was and you know, what the doctrine is of grace and things like that. He didn't go to these things. But rather, he learned it directly from Jesus. Jesus unveiled himself to him, and as he continued to serve Christ, as we're going to see at the end of this chapter, the Lord began to equip him. He went to the school of hard knocks, basically, and learned what it means to be an apostle, a messenger of grace. Now, as we sit here tonight, obviously, we have a different experience than the Apostle Paul. Not many of us can say, um, none of us can say, really, that, yeah, the risen Jesus, he, he's the one who preached the gospel to me. I didn't hear it from man. I wasn't taught, you know, by man. I, I was taught directly from Jesus. No, we have a different experience. We are saved, and we're equipped through the Great Commission, which is not bad. It's, it's God's normal method. Now, Paul's pointing this out because he is showing his, you know, his credentials as an apostle of Jesus Christ. But while our experience might be different in that way, nevertheless, we can relate to Paul as messengers of grace, and you know, as we look at our makings of a messenger of grace, because our message is not from us either. It's from Jesus Christ, and we can stand on that with authority. We can stand on that with boldness as we go out and preach the gospel. You see, because Jesus was the one who delivered his message to the apostles, and that's why Paul is making this statement here. Jesus taught his message directly to the apostles, and then he told his apostles, hey guys, I'm going to give you the authority to go out and to teach for me. I'm going to give you remembrance of all things that I've told you. I'm going to give you revelation. And, and that's what the apostles went out and did. They laid the foundation of the church, which is Christ. And then we're built upon that by pastors and teachers um, today. But the message that we have received from the apostles, from the scriptures, from the word of God, is not made up by man. It wasn't some guy in the Catholic church, you know, in the back in the 5th century, you know, trying to figure out what to do with all the relics and stuff like that. No, it came from Jesus. And it was passed down by men of God who, who shared with us the scriptures. And so as we stand up in this lost world and we think, man, what are we going to do with our world? It's crazy. We think, where does it come from? Does it come from us? Well, I'm glad it doesn't. <laughs> it comes from God's grace. It comes from him. We have a message that is not of us, and it only points to Jesus. We can stand on that message with authority. It's a message that changes lives. The scriptures is not of us. It's of God. All we got to do is point people to Jesus and his word, and, um, you know, and, and God does the rest. So this encourages me because unlike those creative geniuses you know, in the entertainment world, we don't have to be a creative genius in the church to be used by God. Now, there's some are very you know, creative geniuses. Greg Laurie is probably a creative genius, I would consider it, as far as how he communicates the message of God. But now, God can use normal, simple people like me or you, you know, kind of thing to, to, you know, to get the message out because all we got to do is point people to Jesus in his word. Second, in verses 13 to 24, Paul points out that the basis of his ministry is Christ and his grace. And so Paul shows the work of God in his life through grace in three stages here in these verses. He shows it before he was saved and how he was saved and after he was saved. And so first, Paul shows God's grace before he was saved in verses 13 through 15. 
He says, For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And so after Paul says here that he didn't receive his message from man, now he confirms it. Now he demonstrates it and shows evidence how he didn't receive it from man. First of all, Paul says, guys, it's obvious that I didn't receive my message from man, a Christian or an apostle, based on the fact that I was hostile towards them. You see, Paul wasn't the guy that you wanted to street witness to. He wasn't the guy that you wanted to come up on the street and preach the gospel to because he'd probably try to kill you. And that's basically what he says here. The believers in Galatia knew Paul's background. He, they, they knew Paul's testimony. They knew that Paul was not searching to be saved. Rather, he was searching for Christians as a zealous Pharisee desiring to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. Here's Paul's own testimony in Acts 26, verses 9 through 11. He says, Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison having received authority from the chief priests, and they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Wow, think about that. Paul was forcing believers to blaspheme Jesus Christ because of his hatred, because of his zeal, what he felt was zeal for the law. Paul was violently opposed to Christians and the gospel. His only hope was Jesus in his grace. He wasn't going out seeking the apostles, trying to figure out, you know, what to do. God met him. Verse 14, And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. And so no lack of knowledge can either be assumed by these false teachers when thinking of Paul's message. You see, Paul's lack of preaching the law didn't come from a lack of understanding of the law, nor a lack of understanding of Judaism. Paul reminds these guys that he was a student of the law. He was trained up at the feet of a rabbi named Gamaliel, who was the head of a rabbinic university. Paul was an up-and-coming, renowned scholar in Judaism. He was zealous for the traditions of his fathers also. The traditions of the fathers has also been called the oral law. The oral law has to do with the teachings of the rabbis throughout the centuries on how the Jews were to keep the law. You see, what happened was, in between the Old and New Testament, the rabbis got together after the captivity of Israel and Judah and began seeking to build a fence around the law. They, they, they knew from the law that breaking the law brings physical judgment upon you and upon the nation. And so they thought, how can we never, ever, ever break the law again? And they said, I got an idea. Let's add works around the law. Let's add you know, a fence around the law so we can never break, for example, the Sabbath command. According to Dr. Fruchtenbaum, Arnold Fruchtenbaum, he says that the Jews added 1,500 laws around the Sabbath command. Just that one command alone, 1,500 laws, so that they would never possibly break the Sabbath day command. Paul was zealous in these traditions. He memorized them. He was involved with them. And so he loved the law. And so his preaching of grace wasn't by any means because he didn't want to follow the law. He, he followed the law to the, to the jot and the, the tittle. Now, sadly, because they built this fence around the law, the Pharisees began looking at these oral law as just as authoritative as the written law. And this was really the point of contention between Jesus and the Pharisees. Jesus had no problem with keeping the law. Jesus kept the law. He fulfilled the law. But he had, did have a problem with the traditions of, of the elders, which was the oral law that was taught by the Pharisees. They weren't looking for what the Messiah, the Messiah taught in scriptures. Verse 15, But when it pleased God... 
who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. And so Paul, after he became a Christian, through putting his faith in the gospel, realized that from birth, God called him to preach the gospel. Now, this shouldn't shock us when we read this, because God knows all things from beginning to end. Other men in the Bible are also called and told to be separated from birth. Think about Jeremiah. God said, before you were formed, I knew you, and I have called you to be a prophet. Think of John the Baptist. God came to um, you know, his mother and father and says, hey, you're going to have a child, and this child is going to be a prophet. He's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. These men had an understanding that from birth they were called to do what they did. Now, how about you and I as messengers of grace? Have we come to realize that we have been created to do what God has called us to do, to serve him? Well, we have. That's why God made us. God made us to give us his gifts and his callings, and so we can serve him. So we, you know, once we become born again, God gives us those gifts and those talents and those abilities, and we need to serve him with our life. Now, sometimes it doesn't seem like we're doing what God maybe made us to do. Sometimes because life seems so hard. Sometimes it seems mundane. But look at the life of Jeremiah and the life of John the Baptist. I mean, these are guys who were separated from, from, you know, from their mother's womb to serve God. But man, Jeremiah's ministry was tough. I'm told that not, probably not even one convert came from his ministry. He had a life of persecution, of suffering, you know, of being imprisoned. Think about John the Baptist. I mean, he spent a lot of time in the wilderness, and his actually public ministry was very, very short. And his public ministry ended by being beheaded by, by, by Herod. And so, you know, these guys give us an example. They, Thanks a lot, Jake. <laughs> what an encouragement. No. But, but, but it, should, it, it should encourage us, because think about this. Because think about this. Think about the effect that their lives have had on eternity. Their lives have had an effect on eternity. Their, their lives are having an effect on us some 2,000 years later. Jeremiah longer, you know, longer than, than, than 2,000 years. And so in reality, as, as we look at our life, as we get saved and we look at our life and we say, man, Lord, you've called me to do this, and I know that you have made me to do this. And whatever my life is, whatever comes my way, I can trust that, that you're going to work through it. I, I'm going to trust that, that, you know, that you're going to use this and ultimately, in the end, what I'm getting to is that they ultimately understood the purpose of their life when they got to heaven. That's when they understood the ultimate purpose of their life. Man, why did nobody get saved? God says, oh, just wait. I'm going to be encouraging those people in Hanford a long time from now. And the same thing with John the Baptist. Jesus says, hey, there's no greater prophet than John the Baptist. And so as we stand in front of the Lord, I believe that we'll really recognize and, and realize you know, what, what God was doing in our life and what he was doing through our life. We just need to trust him that our gifts and our callings and what God has us doing is, is, is for us, that he has separated us for those things. Now, before we move on, I want to point out something else. It's a good uh, argument against abortion. Notice this. These guys were called before they were born. So God looked at these guys as human lives before they were, you know, before they were born. And so they were, they were babies to God. They were, they were people to God. They were lives to God. And so, I, you know, and so in the same way, God wants to, to, to call even the un, unborn. Now, before we move on again, notice Paul says here at the end of verse 15 how God brought him his grace, how he was saved. He says that God called Paul in his grace. God called him in his grace. Now, a, a, a time came for Paul to hear the gospel. 
And God, through his grace, through the cross of Christ, freed Paul's will. He gave Paul the ability to either accept Christ or reject him. And Paul laid his life down at Christ's feet. He received Christ and the gospel, and his life was changed forever. Now, like Paul, our salvation is not even of us. And so, yes, God calls us by his grace and gives us gifts by his grace. But, man, even our salvation is not even of us. God appointed the day that, that we'd hear the gospel. And God is not one that any should perish. And so God keeps appointing days for people to hear the gospel. Also, God has given us the ability to receive the gospel through the cross of Christ. Jesus says, if I'm lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And so even though we're fallen in sin, God still gives us through his grace the ability to believe the gospel to either accept it or reject it. And third, we see God's grace revealed in Paul's life after he got saved. Notice verse 16. He says, to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And so Paul was saved to serve. That's what he says here. He says, I was saved to serve. I was saved. God revealed his son in me that I might go out and reveal his son to others. We're saved to serve Christ. We're to obey his word and obey his will. If we're saved and we're not walking in the will of God, well, then we're missing out on why God saved us and why God has called us, why God has made us. God has a purpose for us in this world. God has a purpose for us in the church. God has a purpose for us in the kingdom of God. And if we're not living up to that purpose, well, then we're missing out on God's fullness. Yes, we're fallen sinners. We mess up. But God, by his grace, restores us. He'll, he'll continue to use us if we'll just turn to him and, and desire to be used by God. Now, maybe you don't know what God has called you to do. Maybe you don't know where God wants you or, or what God wants you to be effective in. Well, Paul gives us a good example of how to grow in our walk with the Lord and how to grow with grace also in our ministries in these following verses. He says, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And so after Paul was saved and called by God, the first thing he did was not to seek man, but the first thing he did was to act upon the word of God and the command that God gave him. You see, God told Paul to be, you know, he told him to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And so what did Paul do? He went out and began preaching the gospel to Jews and Gentiles. This is evident based on the fact that he went to the area of Arabia. Now, Arabia is not Saudi Arabia, but it's the area that surrounded the area of Syria, which had a, both a large Jewish and Gentile population. And so the first thing Paul did when he got saved was he was prompted by the word of God and by the spirit of God, so he responded to that. And he stepped out, and, and as he stepped out, the Lord began showing him what else he was to do. The Lord began showing him other things that he was to walk in. And the same thing for you. Maybe you're like, I don't know what God wants me to do. Well, what is the Lord prompting you to do? What does the Bible tell you to do? Step out in those things, and as you walk by faith, the Lord will continue to reveal more and more things that he wants you to do. And, or maybe God has already shown you what you know, he wants you to do. God will continue to train you in the school of hard knocks, as he did Paul. And we see that in verses 18 through 24. He says, Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed, before God, I do not lie. Afterwards, I went to the regions of, of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which are in Christ. But they were hearing only, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches a faith which he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God in me. And so Paul briefly describes how God led him from 
Jerusalem, or um, from this area of Damascus to Jerusalem uh, to meet Peter, James, and John, and then back to his own home area of Cilicia, to the area of Tarsus. Now, what Paul leaves out is actually a lot. And if you read the book of Acts, you see just some of the ways that God directed Paul to go to Jerusalem from Damascus and then back to Cilicia. Let me just kind of fill in some of that for you. It's Acts 9, 22 through 30. Here's what, Paul, or here's what Luke tells us about um, this time in Paul's life. He says, But Saul increased all the more in strength, Saul's Paul, and he confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out, and he spoke boldly in the name of Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. And when the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. Now, these things might have seemed like a great discouragement, don't you think? So here was Paul in Damascus, and these guys said, okay, hey, we're going to kill this guy now. And so Paul had to flee Damascus because these people wanted to kill him. So that's how he went to Jerusalem to meet the, you know, you know, all the apostles there. And actually, when he got to Jerusalem, he didn't go straight to the apostles. He wanted to join the believers. Hey, guys, it's me, Saul. And they said, no way, you're not joining our church. We're not letting this guy in here. And so Barnabas, having an encouragement heart, you know, he came alongside of Paul, and he says, hey, Paul, come, you know, and, and he took Paul to the apostles there. And there Paul was with, the, uh, you know, with these guys for some 15 days. During that time, he was preaching the gospel. Then the Hellenists wanted to kill him. And so they said, Paul, you got to get out of here, man. And so he, he left. He went up to the area, and finally, um, area of uh, Caesarea, and finally made it to Tarsus. And so these things to Paul, and, and sometimes to us, seem like setbacks, but God was using all these things to work out his will in Paul's life. Paul, God was using these things to grow Paul in his grace and to put Paul exactly where he wanted him. Because Paul is going to be in Tarsus when Barnabas goes down to Antioch. And then Barnabas is going to get Paul from Tarsus and take him to Antioch. From Antioch, Paul is going to be sent out to be the apostle to the Gentiles to go into all the world. And so God was working through circumstances. God was working through all these things. All Paul was doing was he was being open and obedient to God and his grace. And so it's kind of a school of hard knocks for Paul there, an encouragement to how God wants to grow us in the same way through our grace. Don't be discouraged. Just trust the Lord and his work and, and what he is doing in your life. Now back to the context and in closing, it was evident that Paul did not receive his message or his apostleship from the apostles in Jerusalem or any other man. Paul received his message directly from Christ. He received his message from Christ when he was going out to persecute believers. And it's, it's, you know, immediately after he got saved, he didn't go and learn what it was to be an apostle from the, from the uh, other guys, the, you know, the apostles in Jerusalem. But rather, he went out and preached the gospel, and God taught him as he was serving the Lord. In closing, the only thing that we could say about Paul's life, and the only thing that the other believers can say about Paul's life, is God was at work. They glorified God in Paul. And the same thing is true for you and I. God wants to do a work in our life to where when people look at our life, they will glorify God knowing that it's by grace alone.